Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. And I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and we are going to continue our series on the end times. And uh, I want to ask you, or maybe you want to ask me today, what would happen if Jesus were to come today? Obviously, our expectation as we read through the Word is that the next thing on God's prophetic timetable for us with the unfolding of things we read about in the Scripture uh, is something, is a, it's a word that we use in church, but it's not necessarily a word that you find in the Bible, uh, but that word is the word rapture. And uh, if you've been in church any length of time, you've probably heard about the rapture of the sainted uh, the saints and that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to part the eastern skies. Uh, you're going to hear the trumpet sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise. We're going to get into all that stuff today. And uh, then those that are alive and remain are going to be caught up. And that's where we get that word rapture. It's a snatching away. It comes from a Greek word that, that means a snatching away, uh, a, a swift exodus, if you will. And uh, so that is, that is next on God's prophetic timetable, is that we are waiting for and watching for the return of Jesus. So what, what do we mean when we say that Jesus is coming again? Well, last week we visited a mountainside in Acts chapter 1, and we heard Jesus there speaking to his disciples and giving them some last-minute instructions and uh, encouraging them to wait for the promise of the Father, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and encouraging them that they would receive power after the Holy Spirit had come upon them to be witnesses of Him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and then we pick this up in verse 9, and it says here that after He had said this, He was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. Now they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken away from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. This same Jesus who's walked with you the last few years, who has instructed you, who's taught you, who you witnessed giving his life a ransom for many, you're now seeing him in his glorified state. You're seeing him ascend into heaven uh, to take his rightful spot there in the throne room of God and to be seated at the right hand of the Father. This same Jesus, in like manner as you've seen him go, you're going to see him come again. As a matter of fact, Jesus promises us that he's coming back for his people. John chapter 14, verse 2, we read, and I'm sharing a lot today from the New Living Translation simply because it's the way you and I talk to each other. Um, it may not be the most spiritual sounding, but it's the clearest in communicating the thought here of today's message. Jesus says in John chapter 14, There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, Jesus says, 
I will come and get you so that you will be with me where I am. And Jesus' coming is referred to over 300 times in the New Testament alone. Missions, missions accept this, millions, I'm sorry, accept this truth intellectually, but do we ever allow it to affect who we are and to change our lives and to shift our perspective of this world? The fact that we're living in the last days that we're living in the days before the return of Christ and signs signs around us make it clear and lead us to feel that the coming of the Lord is near many years ago a great piece of prophecy was fulfilled in we watched I believe it was in 1948 the nation of Israel become a nation again there are those around us today, if you've read any bit of prophecy at all, you understand that there is going to be a push under the rule of the Antichrist for a, a one-world government, a one-world monetary system, a one-world uh, way of governing, and there are those in our world today who are pressing vehemently towards that very thing, the, the, building out the platform from which the Antichrist will rule. I've got to share this with you. I, I've had it on my mind for a few days now. Uh, back in the summer, our kids went to Orlando for the National Youth Convention and Fine Arts Festival. And uh, on the Saturday, they went to Universal Studios. And, you know, I went in this place and I bought a super, super expensive cheeseburger and uh, a, a paper cup that said Coca-Cola on it. I went over to the machine, I got my drink, I sat there, I said, hey, surely for 20 bucks or more for this crummy cheeseburger and these crinkle fries that they got for 99 cent at Harris Teeter, you know, I can get a refill on this drink. I go over to the machine and the drink cup is encoded. And I set it in the machine, and it says, sorry, there are no more refills available for this cup. Because all my life, I've wondered how you would control a population of people who had or had not received a mark as to whether or not they could or could not buy and trade. And I'm just here to tell you, I stopped by one of those rigs and bought me one of those cups that I could go and set it on a machine and it would say, hey, you can get a refill now. And I did that. But if I took that same cup back there today, it wouldn't allow me to refill my drink today. So I said all that to say that, you know, if you've ever been, anybody from my generation and beyond, I know there were days and times when you when you looked at a society that operated mostly on cash and you, you just, you, none of the technologies that were in place today were in place then, maybe you've stood and scratched your head and thought about how in the world can these things be? Let me tell you something. You don't need a magnifying glass. You don't need a theology degree. You don't need anything else to be able to see that the systems are in place, the platforms are being built for a one-world government, a one-world monetary system, and a control of population. To be able to say you can or you cannot, you must or you must not. It's there. It's all there. 
There are signs. There are signs in nature. Matter of fact, Jesus says in Matthew 24, we covered this a little bit ago, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but do not panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately, for nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famine and earthquakes in many parts of the world. So what I'm saying to you today at church is this, that the stage is set for the return of Jesus. I'm not trying to, and I told you last week, if anybody gives you a prophecy about the end of time and assigns a specific date to, the, to, that, to that prophecy, my advice to you is to run. Run as far, run as fast as you can, get away, because they are not in accordance with Scripture, because Jesus said that no man knows the hour except for the Father. And I mean, if, if Jesus hasn't even been enlightened as he's here speaking to his disciples, do you think some TBN prophet really has insight? No, obviously not. So, but we've got to ask the question, what if Jesus come today? What if today was the day, and, and I want to walk you through, I want to answer that query by way of informing you of what we might expect on the day and at the time that Jesus comes. Number one, if Jesus were to come today, the dead in Christ would be raised up, would be resurrected. Paul wrote to the Roman church and he said, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he will quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Now obviously Paul in the context of that verse is talking about quickening our mortal body and keeping us from sin. But the same is true in that if the same spirit, if you die in Christ today, death is not final. We deal, again, we deal so much in the physical, we deal so much in the carnal that sometimes it's hard for us to grasp the concepts of eternity. We deal so much in the natural that sometimes the, the, the principles of the Spirit are overshadowed. But I'm telling you today, church, that we learn according to Scripture that, that the death of this physical body does not carry with it the connotation or the weight of finality that we so often assign to it in our emotions and our thoughts. Because the Word is very clear. Paul writes to the church at Thess Thessalonica and those are a people who have a great deal of concern. They too, in that first century, lived with an expectation that Jesus was coming again. And what was happening was, as they were living there with that expectation, there were saints from the church who were passing away, who their time was coming. They were dying off. And, and they, they reached out to Paul and said, Hey, Paul, what about this? What about these people who are dying? Have they missed? Have they lost out? Is, is all hope gone? I mean, Jesus didn't return in their lifetime. What does that mean? And he says this, and now, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we do not want you, we want you, I'm crossing up translations here. We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. In other words, what he's saying here is that even if your and my parting ends at a grave. We are not to approach that setting and say all hope is gone. 
All hope is lost. This is final. This is the end. This is it. This is, there is no more. No, there is no more of our journey together in this life, but that doesn't mean that all hope is gone. He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. And we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are alive and still living, when, we who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. The trumpet will sound, the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ are going to rise body and soul reunited to meet the Lord in the air. The grave is not a place of despair. Yes, it is a place of grief. Yes, it is a place of sorrow as we realize that this journey that we share together in this life comes to a conclusion. But it is not the end and it is not a place of despair. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writing to the church at Corinth says this in verse 51, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We shall not all die, but we shall be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It has been taken away through the finished work of Calvary and hope is ours that if time expires in this life, it doesn't mean that it's all over. The resurrection means a reunion of the body and the spirit, as I said earlier, a new body like the body of Christ. We read from 1 John where he says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. No more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more physical limitations. We will be as he is. Number two, the dead in Christ would be raised, and as we've already caught a glimpse of here, living believers would escape death. We would be changed. He says, then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Listen, death has taken its toll throughout the centuries. Adam died, Abel died, Methuselah died, and Moses died. Jacob and Joseph died. Samson was not strong enough to escape death, and Solomon was not wise enough to escape its grasp. And men still die today, and there is a divine appointment that as long as time lasts, we will die. Hebrews chapter 9 says, and it is appointed once to a man to die. Statistics show that given enough time, 10 out of every 10 persons is going to die. That's rocket science, isn't it, Lee? 
But not all believers, we learn from Scripture, will die. Those who are living when Jesus comes are going to be caught up, snatched away to meet the Lord in the air, changed. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We shall not all die, but be transformed. Like Enoch, like Elijah, all believers living when Jesus comes are going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Too fast to renegotiate the terms of life. Too fast to second-guess previous decisions. Too fast, before we even realize what's going on, too late. And the truth of the matter is, if Jesus come today, some would be ashamed. 1 John 2, 28 says this, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And can I tell you today, church, that abiding in Jesus is the only way to have confidence that you're prepared for eternity? It's not to have a spotless record. It's not to walk in perfection. It's not to think you're all that in a bag of chips. But it is simply to lean on Jesus, lean into his grace, lean into his goodness, and walk with him, share fellowship with him, listen to and hearken the voice of the Lord and follow his prompting and follow his word and live according to the principles of the kingdom. And I want to ask you today, are you confident when you think of the return of Christ? I shared this with you a little bit last week. I'll share it again. I remember as a kid, Man, I've heard this message preached and I want you to understand when I'm talking about the return of Jesus and things that are to be in the end time, I'm simply here to inform you. I've heard this message preached in so many times in so many different ways where I'm thoroughly convinced that the intent of the speaker was to scare the life out of you. I'm, I'm not trying to do that. I just I, I, I refuse to pastor an, an ignorant church and a church that I'm not willing to touch these topics. So I'm just sharing with you for the sake of information today and hopefully that information leads you to points of transformation and the information will lead you to, to the right decisions in this life. But I want to ask you today, are you confident when you think of his return? There have been so many times in my life that you know, to think about the return of Jesus, you're just like, you know, I don't know if I'm ready for that. There was a season in my life, I just hoped the Lord didn't come back before I got my driver's license, you know, so it's like, I really want to drive a car, you know, because like that matters, right? Um, so anyway, uh, side note. But, but there, there is, as we mentioned, going to be a suddenness to the coming of the Lord. As a matter of fact, Jesus says that in that day, there'll be, it'll be as it was in the days of Noah, that they'll be eating and drinking, marrying, giving them marriage. It's going to be life as usual. Life as, you know, how many, let me ask you this, and you say, well, I don't know, Pastor, because things just you know, things before the coming of the Lord, it's just going to be this, and, and, you know, I think we're going to know. No, I don't think you're going to know. I think you know enough. 
I think you know enough just today to go, uh, go home and turn on the news channel for a few minutes. I think you'll see enough to know that it's near. But to be able to say, no, I, I just I know that when, it, when the time gets here, we're going to know. No, I don't think you are. Because let me ask you something. How many of you, how many of you remember two years ago when everybody was talking about the new normal? Everybody, everybody was talking, oh, this is a new normal, this, this is a new normal. And, and the thing is, you know, it doesn't just require a global pandemic for, for things to be shifted around and shaken up and for things to become the new normal. I mean, society is constantly transitioning from one thing to the next to the next to the next and all of these different movements and agendas and things that are going on. And it's brand new and it's all, ooh, when you first see it. But after a while, even the new normal, the new wears off. And, and things that you see today that maybe have a shock value that say to you, oh, the coming of the Lord is near. Let me tell you something. Six months from now, you'll just accept that as the normative of the society in which you live. You may not like it. It may, it may do something on the inside to you. And, and, and it just may trouble you in your spirit and all those things. But still, you'll just see and become desensitized to certain things and you just you know it's just part of life now and what do we do what do we do with all the parts of life we just keep on living right we just keep on living because because time is perpetuated or so we feel but time one day will end and it will end abruptly. It will end with the trumpet sound and the, and the Lord descending from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, the sainted dead rising, the, those who are alive and remain being changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye and being caught up together with the Lord in the clouds. And I, I, I know, you listen, here's the funny thing. Here's the funny thing. Some of us watch too much sci-fi. Because we, we watch these programs, and if you've ever noticed, have you, how many of you have ever noticed how many shows there are advertised or on your TV of an apocalyptic nature? And I believe this is, this is just straight Steve, so take it for what it's worth. It's not scripture. But I really, really, really with all my heart believe that that is a tactic of the adversary to desensitize you with fantasy to make you think that this could never really happen. This, uh, it's just the, it's a thing. It's, it's just this thing. It's, it's something over here. That's Hollywood. Hollyweird. You know? It's not. Where do you think they got their imaginations for these things? I mean, you just see this stuff. It looks like Armageddon all the time. And it's to make us think, oh, that will never happen. It will. We're going to talk about that more next week, but it will. But Jesus says that, that he's coming in a moment when you know not. But of that day and hour, Jesus says, Matthew 24, no one knows the hour, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. But as it was in the days of Noah, so also are the coming, uh, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the days 
before the flood. They were eating, they were drinking, marrying, given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Two of them will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Matthew, Mark chapter 13, Jesus says, Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. And some are going to be ashamed when Jesus comes, and some are going to be left here to face the tribulation. Again, we're going to talk more about that, but it's persecution, the likes of which this world has never seen, there's going, to be, there's going to be judgment and wrath poured out on the earth. And here's the thing. Listen, God is not slack concerning his promises. If you're here and you say, yeah, pastor, I've heard this message. I've heard this message all my life. Listen, Peter had a warning to the people of his generation, and I believe it's applicable for us today when he says, listen, the Lord's not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness. But he's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat and both the earth and the works that are in it will all be burned up. And then Peter reaches this point of resolve as he's, as he's writing to the church and he says this, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall away from your own steadfastness being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. I want, you to, I want you to journey with me in time from this moment when Peter is writing these words. And, and I want you to understand Peter's writing to these people and they're saying, oh, we've heard all this stuff before. Since the days of our forefathers, we've heard all this stuff and where is the coming of the Lord? And Peter says, whoa, 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 wait a minute, hold on. Don't you think for a minute that Jesus is not good to his word? Don't, don't do that. How, how is Peter so intimately acquainted with Jesus' fulfillment of his word? I take you back to a fireside chat between Peter and a little servant girl. As he's there warming his hands by the fires of this world and conversing with the people, they looked at him and said, you're, you're one of those, aren't you? You're with him. He said, no, nah, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Not one time, not two times, but three times. Finally, on the third time, Peter began to swear and to, and to curse and say, look, I don't know him. And when he denied him the third time, the rooster crowed. And I find it interesting that Luke records that Peter said, I don't know what you're saying and immediately while he was speaking the rooster crowed and verse 61 of Luke 22 it says and the Lord turned and looked at Peter 
And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord when Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now here's the distinction and here's the application for you and I today. There was a time that Peter didn't really take seriously the word of the Lord. And he let his guard down and he denied the Lord three times. And on the third time, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth locked eyes with Peter. And I know in that moment, the look that must have been there must have been, Oh, Peter, I told you, man. I told you and you let your guard down. I told you. And you succumbed to temptation. I told you and you folded under the pressure. Listen, I, I, know, I know that the struggles of life are real. I know that it's intense. But hey, God's grace is sufficient. And he's told us, I'm coming again. I'm coming again. And let us not be found living life as if his word is not true and his word is not right and his promise is not sure. Because inasmuch as Peter looked into the eyes of the Lamb of God that was being carried away, bloodied and beaten, we're not going to be looking in the eyes of the Lamb, but we're going to be looking into the eyes of the Lion of the tribe of Judah who's not coming back again as a sacrificial Lamb, but he's coming back as a reigning King and a judge of the wickedness of this earth and church we need to be ready stand with me all over this place we need to be ready are you ready I didn't ask you if you were saved I just ask you if you're ready. Because I'm going to tell you something, church. I believe there's a lot of people that maybe make it in by the grace of God, but I still believe there's a lot of people that are going to be ashamed. That life was not lived through the perspective of eternity that we allowed ourselves to become cumbered down with so many other temporal things, temporary situations, material circumstances that are very rapidly going to become immaterial after the return of Jesus. So I just ask you today, are you ready? Are you ready? Those of you that are watching online, I ask you today, are you ready? Are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready to look into the face of the one who died for us, who redeemed us? Are we, are we, are we living sacrificially? Are we living holy, consecrated lives? Are we living for the glory of God? We've got to make room 
we've got to make room for him to do whatever he wants to in our lives to change us, shape us, mold us, make us into what he wants us to be because the hour is coming The hour is drawing near when the trumpet's going to sound. The dead in Christ are going to be raised first. Then those of us who are alive and remain are going to be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye. Caught up together in the clouds to be with the Lord. And evermore shall we be. Every head bowed and every eye closed all across this congregation and those of you that are watching online I invite you as well to this response to say are you ready is it well there's no need to be afraid there's no need to be fearful because perfect love casts out all fear and there's perfect love that's available for you and it was manifest on the cross of Calvary in that Jesus laid down his life for you he gave everything to ransom you, to redeem you, so that you could be ready by the grace of God when the last trumpet sounds. You can face even death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. If you're here today, you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? If you're watching online, if you would drop a comment or maybe shoot us a message, we would love to have one of our pastors get in touch and pray with you. But if you would just simply pray with me this morning, Father, I thank you for sending your son. I confess today that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. Cleanse me from all my iniquity. Wash me and make me clean in Jesus. Lord, I commit from this day forward to live for you, to live for the glory of your kingdom, to give you all that I have and make room for you in my life. And we bless you and we give you the praise in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us and we hope you have a blessed day.